Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Blog Talk Radio. Frequency and our level of 
consciousness relative to uh, um, the motherland of Africa, relative to Mother Earth, relative to us as spiritual beings having a human experience was just so much enhanced. Um, Maladome and this fascinating detailed journey of the healing wisdom of Africa, he reveals a traditional healing practices of the Dagora people of West Africa. Uh, Maladome is a shaman and scholar as well, and he introduces the Western readers to the rituals that breathe meaning into the daily lives of African seekers. And his journey is a, a slimmering, uh, shimmering actually, uh, fulfillment of a missing piece in the story of the earth. As a matter of fact, Alice Walker pays a, a, uh, a, a homage to him by proclaiming Maladome's work uh, as one that's able to take readers on a tour of two worlds as he relates the story of his youth in an African village and also his education in the Western and traditional African ways. And in the, uh, the Healing Wisdom of Africa, Maladoma writes specifically of the generation-old tradition of knowledge of his people, the Dagara, who are known throughout West Africa for their healing abilities as well as their spiritual practice. And Maladome also explains how the Dagara accumulate firsthand knowledge of a deep spiritualist and healing powers. And he also shows how the most important aspects of the village life revolves around ritual community and healing that ritual brings. And in addition to that, he teaches ceremony and rituals so that the African readers may begin the healing and initiation process and thusly developing the genesis and genius and gifts within themselves and finding life's true purpose. And in the larger scheme of the creating of the community uh, rituals, the author describes the power of gathering and of engaging in traditional rituals of fire, water, earth, mineral, and nature. In addition to that, he explores how simple stones from the ground can be understood to retain the memory of generations and how charitable giving can infuse a foreign journey with richness and also protection and how homage to the earth around us adds in depth and thankfulness to daily life. Uh, I must also add that through the healing wisdom of Africa, uh, readers come to an understanding that the life of the indigenous and the traditional people is a paradigm for an intimate relationship with the natural world that surrounds all of us and is also within us. Uh, Maladome is from Pukunapasa, and which was formerly known as the Upper Volta and, uh, in the West, West African region. And Maladome in his native language means to be friends with the stranger. Maladome is a gifted, initiated diviner and medicine man of the Dagarit tribe. And he holds three master's degree degrees and two doctorates from the Shoborn and Brandes. And his book of Water and Spirit, Ritual, Magic, and Initiation in the Life of an African Shaman is actually treasured around the world 
Emalo Domo, who conducts intensive workshops with his wife, well, actually now his ex-wife, um, of a few years. Uh, he divides his time between his home in California, Europe, and also the nations of Africa. So I'm going to take a short break, and when we return, I will delve into the beginning of the healing wisdom of Africa. And those of you in the chat room, please feel free to share your thoughts and comments. And if you'd like to uh, connect with me on the air, please uh, push the number one button on your phone, and it would be a pleasure to have you share your, your thoughts with us live on the air. Been there, he states, but he, he hears 
that anyone who wants to discover the source of the Dagger magical knowledge and spirituality needs to go there. I, for one, have not been, my wife and I both haven't been to Africa as of yet, and uh, that's on my to-do list within the next um, 48 months, within the next two years, if not sooner. And uh, the first place I will be going to will be uh, Brother Maladome's village. And Maladome goes on to state that the second settlement is in northern Ghana. It is, its only distinction from his own is that the colonial forces artificially divided the group into two separate nationalities. A large number of tribal communities throughout the world suffered the same fate of being divided by the coastal and casual degree of colonizers. And in Ghana, it happened in the 18, around 1880. And in a government office somewhere in Belgium, and those who drew the boundaries did not know of or care about the Dagara people. The Dagara people are well known throughout the West Africa for beliefs and practices that outsiders find both fascinating and frightening. The Dagara connection with beings from the spirit world has resulted in the accumulation of firsthand knowledge of subjects regarded in the West as paranormal magic, or spiritual. The Gaia science, in this sense, is the investigation of the spirit world more than the world of matter. And what in the West might be regarded as fiction, among the Gaia is believed as fact. For we have seen it with our own eyes, heard it with our ears, and felt it with our own hands. Brother Maldonado goes on to state that the stories I tell often sound to Western ears fantastic for hearers lack of the advantage of the comprehensive investigations into the interplay of spirit and matter that characterizes the Dagara and many other African peoples. The story of my youth, he goes on to state, and the education is described in my previous book of Water and the Spirit. And in it, I walk the reader through a life at the edge between two cultures, one indigenous and the other one modern. The story is a tempestuous one and a very profound one. I am one of the few thousand Native Africans who at the early age of about four years of age in his case, was stolen from one world and taken to another as part of the European colonial project. And through the efforts of the French and the Roman Catholic Church, and the fascination of the Dagara people with, with matters pertaining to spirit particularly predisposed them to the acceptance of French Catholicism. And in retrospect, he, he states that, I think that my Dagara saw, that many Dagara people saw assimilation into the French Catholicism much as they saw our tribal roots, rates, and rites of initiation, and the replacement of an older self with a new in the interest of a better life. Many approached colonial religious practices with the intention of exploring themselves only briefly, but they soon lost their hearing, becoming acculturated and, and easily manipulated. 
His father was part of this group, bitten by the bee of curiosity, only to find himself trapped. And his Western education and habituation to the ways of the West at the hands of the Catholic missionaries was a result of his entrapment. He had made a deal with the colonizers, a deal in which he had no say, says Maladoma, a deal that he did not fully understand. And through this deal, Maladoma was removed from his family and village and taken to the priest's missionary school to become acculturated. And once he had gone, the pleas of his father to return him fell on deaf ears. He remained in the missionary school system until the age of 20. And in retrospect, Maladoma goes on to state that he cannot believe how much he wanted to kill his father for delivering him into the hands of the Western teachers. But that was before his acceptance of the pro prophecies surrounding his life. He says that my people hold dear a view of the personhood that we contrast with modern empirical thinking. The Dagara believe that everyone is born with a purpose and that his purpose must be known in order to ensure an integrated way of living. And people ignorant of their purpose are like ships adrift in a hostile sea. They are circling around, and as a result, tribal practices emphasize the discovery before birth of the business of the soul that has come into this world. A person's purpose is then embodied in their name, thus constituting an inseparable reminder of why the person walks with us here in this world. And in my case, Maladoma states, I was meant to get involved with other cultures in the interest of redefining relationships in the spirit of harmony, and hence the name Maladoma, which means he who makes friends with the stranger. And for this reason, it feels as if I went to school not only to learn the ways of the stranger, but also to learn ways of making friends. I had to make clear that in the years immediately following colonial period of 1950s to the 1960s, missionary schools continued to flourish in Africa, while the Europeans who had carried bombs and guns into West Africa were interested in material resources. Those who welded the course were interested in souls. And thus the purpose of these schools was clear, which was to continue the work of the European colonization on the African continent by converting natives to Christianity and ways of the West while they were still young, susceptible, and easy to persuade. This was not a localized program in West Africa, but a widespread practice spanning the entire African continent. And school to us, was a place where we learned to reject whatever native culture we had acquired as children and to fill its place with Western ideas and practices. And this foreign culture was presented as high culture par excellence, the acquisition of which constituted a blessing. And going to school was thus a radical act involving the sacrifice of one's indigenous self. For the white Catholic missionaries who were building a Christian empire, such a project was necessary for survival, a consequence of the decline of Christian faith in Europe. 
Mm. Now, Maladoma goes on to state that the French colonial encroachment into Africa started in a later part of the 18th century and increased dramatically with new conquests and settlements throughout the 19th century. And during that time, colonial governments were named exclusively by officials and support personnel imported from France. And by the early 18th century, the, I'm sorry, by the early 20th century, Native Africans who had been educated to act on behalf of the colonizer using the colonizer's own methods were enlisted to maintain the prosperity of the colonial dispensation. And the two great wars of the 20th century brought tremendous changes in the colonial empires. Among them was the opening of the eyes of the colonized regarding the fact of their colonization resulting in the worldwide political movement known as nationalism. And this real identity could be described as deceptive, exploitive, and disruptive. In Africa, the uneducated blacks began using the pen and podium to express their discontent, trapped in a cultural paradox that defined them as both white and black. They could, they could not contain their anger. On one hand, it was impossible for them to return to their native land and ways because a cultural barrier stood before them. And this barrier was the native language that they could no longer speak and the living conditions in the village devoid of Western amenities. On the other hand, they could not stay among the Westerners and enjoy their newly acquired cultural identity, mainly because of white social and economic rejection. And consequently, they created a diaspora of struggling people adrift in the vast sea of cultural anonymity. And this gave rise to what has now entered the canon of nationalistic literature known as nigritude, spearheaded by figures such as Leopold Sidor Sikor, former president of Senegal and now a member of the French Academy. Nigritude is the only of being black in the face of white rejection of blacks. And towards the middle of the 20th century, under the increasing pressure of nationalist activists and the United States government, imperial European nations decided to grant independence and self-rule to their colonies. The last 50 and early 60s, the late 50s and early 60s, saw a massive birth of a new nations from the bellies of European mother countries. And suddenly geographic areas that were once administered by French colonials, for example, were to be administered by black Africans trained by the French. And the first decade of leadership by these blacks was disastrous in post-colonial Africa, where many indigenous people out of concern of themselves began to wonder when independence was going to end. Leaders emulated the totalitarian rule of colonial administrators terrorizing their own people only to find themselves driven from power by others more zealous in the business of torturing their people and kin. And meanwhile, European countries continued to maintain strong involvement with their former colonies, exerting considerable control over the leadership that had assumed their role, 
In short, colonial tyranny did not leave Africa. It simply changed its face. The maintenance of colonial languages as the new country's official ones, the literal copying of colonial political administration, and above all, the strict observance of Western matters are all elements that had combined to give birth to the, first, to the third world. Pre-colonial Africa inherited three basic languages from the West, and that was French, English, and Spanish. And these languages are its official languages, and people go to school to learn how to speak, read, write, and think in these languages. The governments of these countries copy the style of the country in Europe, they colonize them, and the people in the official government position act, dress, eat, sleep, and live like Europeans. To learn new ways, to acquire new vision, to replace the old one learned in native villages, as was the mode of education in the Christian schools, meant to experience pain in the hands of angry and overzealous teachers. And these teachers act as if theirs was the most miserable job in the world, and they direct their anger and frustration at the very people they were teaching. Why were they so emotionally strained, you may ask? Well, because these teachers were also shaped and changed by the violent methods of colonial training and ultimately found themselves, like their students, trapped between two worlds, unable to fully participate in either. Now, Maladoma goes on to state that the very literate African who went to a colonial school such as mine carries, as I do, the marks of his literacy on his body. And these marks are the small scars. Literacy was literally beaten into us, and to avoid pain, we had to quickly master European languages. Westernologists finds a cozy place in the African consciousness when carefully packaged inside a whip and regularly delivered. He goes on to state that no wonder former French President Charles de Gaulle complained that the French language was better spoken by colonial Africans than by French citizens themselves. The grave problem related to this matter of education is that its fanaticism breeds fanaticism in its students. You can't beat someone into enlightenment without fearing that this violence will be returned to you someday. There comes a time when a young pupil begins to see cracks in the curriculum of ideology, and with the energy of the adolescence comes a high level of aggressiveness, which in our case was turned against post-colonial authority. Now, Maladoma goes on to state that he regrets to confess that it led him at the age of 20 to hit a priest and then escape from the mission school, driven away by fear of the consequences of such an act. And that fear became fuel enough to carry him all the way back to his village on foot. And for other young students, responses ranged from teacher assimilation to suicide. I'm sorry, from teacher assassination to suicide. In every case, it was a response to the unbearableness of cultural repression. And because education was a departure from home and all its values, because it meant forgetting the ancestral ways in order to survive, education forced in him and his colleagues a serious crisis of identity. And when he returned to his village, 
the home he found was not in the way like the home to me, to him initially. Initially, he could not accept that this was a place of his birth. Faced with blatant, blatant uncleanliness, nakedness displayed without shame, and painfully unsophisticated dwellings, he began to pity his own people, even worse, their lack of awareness of how backward, stagnant, and uncouth they were drove him to anger at the unfairness of God for associating me, a him rather, with them. And for the first time since being taken from home, the language that he had been forced to acquire became useless, and at that time his native language abandoned him. People in the West may have a hard time imagining what it is like to be unable to speak one's native language, unable to communicate properly to one's own parents and family. One can only know this through experience. Imaldoma states that he learned that a homecoming can never be complete until feelings are properly communicated and shared. He states that his return to the village after some 16 years of schooling at the mission school meant the beginning of his education in another culture. My own school, he states. He states that I was not equipped by teachers this time though this did not make the education any easier. What I noticed immediately was that native learning clashed with my previous education, creating a strange kind of commotion within me. The sensation was not interesting because my newly acquired indigenous values gradually overshadowed the concepts learned in the course of my Western education, scaring away the notion that my culture was primitive and doomed. At the colonial school, I had been told that the rituals my people performed to heal were devilish and inspired by Satan. And I discovered that there was countless illnesses that could not be healed at the local infirmary, infirmary which were per perfectly curable at the hands of the Dagara healers. I wondered whether saving lives was indeed devilish or satanic. At school, we had also been told that tribal people have no knowledge of magic, but instead were very superstitious. But when I witnessed Dagara people make things disappear and appear in thin air, when I witnessed beings from other worlds show up in flesh and bone, allowing me to touch them, I wondered how superstitious all this was, he states. And then there was my introduction to the Contumbly, the spirits in the wild who worked as the comforter of every person in need. All of these experiences contradicted the theories disseminated in the schools. And at the same time, it was interesting to see the reaction of villagers who observed what literacy had done to me. I discovered that from their perspective, I, what I learned from my white teachers was considered poisonous, and even dangerous to me and others. And it was as if destroyed the ability, the ability to learn the indigenous knowledge that I was trying to reclaim. With literacy had come a logic that was incompatible with the logic innate to the Dagara and other native peoples. It made me prone to doubt, incalculable of, of uh, incapable rather, of trust, and subject to dangerous emotions such as anger 
and impatient. And worst of all, my Western perceptions of time was continually disturbing me in the culture in which timeliness prevailed. In retrospect, I now realize that I was my own worst enemy in the quest for the magical and the supernatural because of the Western consciousness I had absorbed and in, in its grandiose notions of superiority. I just want to pause for a moment and just reflect. What I just recently read, dealing with the, uh, the fact that Maladoma talks about the uh, uh, quote-unquote, it made me prone to doubt incapable of trust and subject to the dangerous emotions such as anger and impatience. And I know when I became initiated as a Reiki healer of giving light, that my initiator, she told me that one of the things, that she, one of the uh, affirmations that she recites, as soon as she wakes up, is not only giving gratitude to the Most High, gratitude to the ancestors, to the angels, to the guardians, and to the deities that protect us and guide us. But the saying of just for today, I will not be angry. Just for today. And repeating that every morning upon waking, so that indeed as you take your first step outside of the, out of bed and lay your feet on the floor, that you give gratefulness and gratitude. You're grateful for the fact that you're breathing and you woke up, but also reminding that you would not let yourself get angry. And in the Western Hemisphere, in the Western society, especially living here like I am in New York City, uh, my wife and I almost invariably at times we want to know what the weather is projected for the rest of the day, if not week. We tend to not want to hold on to the daily news as it were, because most of that news is sensational, sensationalist by nature, by the nature of the shows and how they're programmed. But I know that if you look at, read, read the news, look at the news, hear the news, that there's a propensity of you to get angry and to be uncentered, unsettled, and be in an unharmonious state. So that's something to say about Monodoma's, uh his people, that um, they practice not getting angry. And if they were angry, there were certain rituals and certain ways in which that anger was expressed, which I will explain later on the show. As a matter of fact, Maladoma explained it to my wife and I when we interviewed him and when he was a guest with us. But he got more in-depth in the interview on our show uh, back in 2012. And then, of course, she says, impatience is another dangerous emotion. And how many of us find ourselves to be impatient? Matter of fact, we are conditioned to feel impatient, especially of those of us who play the game of being superior, of having a sense of entitlement. You know, when we uh, are eating out in the restaurant or being waited on uh, or at a, at a uh, store or uh, shopping, as it were. In, in other words, how we treat our servants, uh, those who are serving us through a business um, venue, as it were, 
and then those of us who treat our children uh, with, with impatience, our siblings and our friends, our loved ones, our significant other, and our parents and elders, on and on, we can feel justified in being impatient and, ex and expressing that in very disrespectful ways. And of course, that develops negative karma. And it also doesn't allow you to be a suitable contributor to the harmony of the family. Number one, to be in harmony with yourself and centered with yourself so you're not in a state of dis-ease, to bring on dis-ease and elements such as heart uh, problems and high blood pressure and indeed cancer for that matter and other uh, life-threatening diseases, and also for that to be, uh, uh, to penetrate within the family structure and the village and the, the community at large. So that's something for us to really think about and to just be mindful about. We're going to take a short break, and please stay tuned, and we will continue uh, talking about this very interesting part of uh, Maladoma's journey and coming back to his village after being trained by the Western culture. Chia Vida, 
And Chia Vida is a, a drink that many celebrities, uh, professional athletes are raving about as of late. It's a unique blend of premium exotic fruits and botanicals, such as the acai berry that is called the wine of the Amazon. And it also contains a, uh, an ingredient called yerba mate. It's like a green tea. And that's been known to be called the beverage of the gods from the Brazilian rainforest, which is the national drink for four South African countries. This drink is designed to enhance whole body wellness, to bolster the immune system, to quickly increase energy, and to support weight management by boosting metabolism and uh, controlling appetite, and it assists in controlling and leveling one's blood sugar just to mention a few of its benefits. And within minutes of drinking just one to two ounces, Chia Vida delivers a surge of smooth, sustained energy that lasts for hours, not minutes. And along with the greater mental clarity and focus and a feeling of calmness and well-being, this is an energy drink that provides a surge, an energy surge without the sugar rush, without the jitters, and without the crash and burn or harmful side effects that many other products can produce. Chia Vida is an all-natural, delicious, functional health beverage that most people feel results within the very first time they try it, and subsequently they want to drink it over and over again. But even though uh, people consistently drink for the immediate benefits, the amazing thing is that the, uh, the longer someone drinks Chia Vida, the more improvement they notice in their overall health. I have been drinking uh, a product with the uh, drinks with the product of acai berry and other uh, juices combined um, with the acai for the last, um, I would say, about 12 years. There was a product not known as Chia Vita, but it was similar in terms of its content, and I used that to train for my um, uh, my 14th, actually 13 and 14th marathon. I ran my last marathon, New York City Marathon, in 2010, and I'm training for my 15th uh, for next year, 2015. And um, just really recommend it as a energy drink, as opposed to the other drinks that are out there, energy drinks that are out there. This is really the perfect drink that you could take for many attributes in terms of your overall health. For more information, please go to my website, which is healthisalwayswealth.com. That's www.healthisalwayswealth.com. Or you can call 888-338-2508. That's 888-338-2508. And I will be sure to get back to you with any questions that you may have. And uh, by the way, you can get a an introductory offer a 32-ounce bottle for $19, that's including shipping and handling, which is normally uh, going for about uh, $38. I think $32 for the bottle, and then shipping can be another $7. So you can now get this. It's an introductory offer uh, for a limited period of time for $19, uh, including shipping and handling. So, again, uh, thank you for tuning in. Oh, yes, I have another website, that's uh, drumsofchange.com, Drums of Change, and on that site, uh, you can purchase 
all the books that I review, such as The Healing Wisdom of Africa that I'm reviewing this evening. And also I sell, um, I sell African crafted drums, the djembe primarily, djembe buck drums, as well as other drums. Even jazz trap sets can be purchased from my site and other uh, musical instruments. But primarily it's a drum, a drum store that I have that you can get drums as low as uh, price points at $29, including shipping and handling. Uh, most of these drums come from West Africa. That's that would be Ghana, Senegal, Nigeria, and uh, they're handcraft uh, to the top level of uh, craftsmanship. And I do urge you to go there. And one last thought is that the reason why I created the drum site is because I've been an African drummer for some years, some 35 plus years. Um, I'm not a master drummer, but I am. I'm, I have the the intent of a master drummer, and that is to communi communicate the importance of having a drum in the home. Everyone, uh, every family of African descent should have a drum, if not several drums, and if possible, a designated drummer to perform uh, in the home and for the family for the immediate family and for the, the extended village, as it were, wherever you are, wherever you live throughout the African diaspora. And that's for when a baby is born, when a new child comes into reincarnation on this earth school, to when one, an elder, leaves uh, to go back uh, into the cosmos before they return in their next incarnation. There should be a designated drummer to acknowledge and celebrate those um, sacred uh, events. And anything else that happens in between that is significant, such as a marriage, um, birthdays, you know, solar days, any major event. So without any further ado, let us continue with uh, reviewing the healing wisdom of Africa. I hope those of you who are listening uh, enjoy and find this very interesting and uh, educational and also I'm fascinated by by um, sharing with you Manodome's uh, his his story his life as it were as a as a young man living in two worlds so he states that after he returned to his village he was gently approached and carefully nurtured by his madaba, uh, that's his male mother, and that was Uncle Kuso. He alone had the dexterity to dress the wound of his psyche without provoking further hemorrhaging. In Guso's emergency room, the vital signs of his psyche were stabilized, allowing him gradually to awaken to the realities that would help him recon reconcile his educated self with the culture of his ancestors. His initiation in particular enabled him to understand this. And um, initiation was a serious undertaking for both Zosho and himself, an undertaking beyond the scope of this writing or any type of writing. At its core was the objective of restoring the damaged regions of his psyche, which as though infected by a virus, 
was responsible for his crisis of identity, and sexual restoration required that he confront a body of realities that widened his spiritual horizons immensely. But at the time, at the same time, put his life at risk. Exposure to the magical can be dangerous, as dangerous to a person as exposure to high levels of radiation. Without proper protection, one ruins, runs the risk of losing oneself to the very world that radiates these energies. And consequently, a romantic attraction to magic is often a naive impulse towards the sacred that unveils a dangerous ignorance of what one is attracted to. He goes on to state that I made it through these trials not because I was intelligent, but because my Madaba is a gifted indigenous scientist, the kind that Westerners might call a shaman. He goes on to state that I was fortunate, and my good fortune became even more evident when I realized the goods that came with exposure to the magical world. I call my initiation a radical healing. My angry, vicious self was quieted and, and intimidated by the sweeping powers of the other world. Something like a new person was born in me. The region of my psyche that had been put to sleep was uh, awakened. And he goes on to say that the reason that the, the region that was put to sleep at the schools of the Western thought was suddenly restored to a point that he was able to reconnect to the deep regions of his psyche and all things living. He rediscovered his home in the natural world, which is the true home of all beings on earth. And he also reconciled to his family and to the village community into which he had been born. He was alive and in awe of what he had felt. He states that my indigenous life was allowed to resume. I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge my fact that this came from down from upstairs and into our studio. And uh, it's really a pleasure that she just arrived at this point as I came to this section that Amaladoma states how his indigenous life was allowed to resume. And uh, I don't think you had any knowledge that I was reviewing uh, the healing wisdom of Africa, did you? No, I didn't know which, um, which topic you were speaking on this evening. Well, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> uh, I didn't mention it to you because we've been so busy this evening that I reviewed uh, uh, the interview we had with Kamala Doma back in 2012, I think it was. I think and it was 2010. Was it 2010? Um, actually, yeah, it was, it was 2010. Yeah, 2010. October 2010. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the 2012 was when I first, when I last reviewed the book. Okay. That's when, that's when I read 2012. And it was so rewarding and, you know, uh, revealing to hear uh, the interview over again. Uh, this is like rereading a book, a scene, a movie over. You, you pick up things that you missed before, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, 
you know, he, he, he really uh, made a, a very profound uh, impression upon us, as I mentioned earlier in the show, and and uh, I'm happy that we were able to share that together. Yes, yeah, so am I. So, indeed, um, as I was talking about his initiation, that he was allowed to resume his life back into the village after being initiated, the initiation was followed by a quiet, seemingly uneventful year in the village, and he began to grow accustomed to the slow and quiet magic of the village with the interest, entrance of the spiritual into his psyche. He also began to see why the life that he was embracing, embracing so marvelously eventful on the inside could be seen by Western-trained eye as unattractive. And how does one judge what one cannot be seen? But too soon, unfortunately, there came a day when his destiny overtook him. And that day the village leader, the Tinsob, spoke to him about his life's purpose, intimating what I had not thought about since his return to the community. He had long suspected that making friends with the stranger slash enemy, would someday mean separation from his village and family. And the village leader addressed him in the most diplomatic terms, but his words, his words were painful. For he says, I understood at once that I was to leave. I was being politely exiled. Now, after finally finding, finding a home that had been lost to me, the grief had ensued that ensued, rather, was the reaction to his announcement that I must return to school to master the ways of the West. And as he quieted down, he was able to understand more clearly the philosophy of the Dagara elders towards the West, a philosophy of inclusiveness and flexibility shaped by an awareness that the West was here to stay. And thus, coping with the West was better than pretending that it did not exist, and that it wasn't the spread of literacy among the indigenous people of the West, Africa, an irreversible manifestation of the present. He recalled his own father's innocently asking him if he could forget how to read and write in order to diminish the pain of initiation. It sounded silly at the time, but later on he discovered the depth of this simple remark. Indeed, literacy is a Western condition once acquired cannot be denied. And yet, I reminded, and he remained rather, puzzled at the idea that I could learn anywhere things that would rival the wisdom that he had learned in his own village in such a short time. At the end, though, he states, I accepted my return to school as not entirely bad or undesirable fate. For someone whose name means make friends with the enemy stranger, it made sense to pursue a higher level of Western education after learning what I had learned among my people. But the thought of returning to school resurrected deeply buried fears. For me, in many ways, it was the same as going to hell. I needed major adjustments to align my thoughts with the decision of the elders. And as my fears emerged, they summoned forth my power to argue. But unlike in the West, where linear 
rational logic enables people to argue their way in and out of situations. My best arguments were not enough to exempt me from my destiny. Entering the University of Okandangu, one day's journey from my home, I felt as if I was confronting not once again, but an entire new way, the business of living in two worlds. The proximity to home made it possible to continue to work with my madaba, thereby allowing the two sources of my education to parallel each other. It felt good. The contrasts were huge and the ironies obvious. Unlike any earlier Western education when it was impossible even to imagine it, there could be two types of knowledge now indigenous and modern was able to coexist in me without the modern superstitious coercing and doffing the other. There seemed to be a great freedom in recognizing the separate place from which my Western teachers presented their world to me, just as knowledge from one world could help the Nawar live in another, I found myself constantly evoking the powers of the ancestors to navigate through school and in the Western world. Now, Maladoma goes on to state that I must admit that my apprenticeship with my Madaba was more exciting than my university studies. In the village, as in a laboratory, I could see, experience, and participate in a series of exciting secret ventures that stretched my conception of truth so widely that in the end, I could not help but contrast them with the almost deliberate narrowing of reality and modern thought. Healers in the village taught that Westerners tried to control magic by insisting on knowing a visible cause for anything that might happen. And this exception had the sad and inevitable effect of mystifying rather than clarifying reality, such as the village people knowing the different laws that operate in the different dimensions of reality. A Westerner would say, for example, that water always makes, makes you wet. Yet a native healer who gets into a river and stays for hours doing what healers do might get out just as dry as if he had been working in the Sahara Desert. Education in the West meant graduating, first from the University in Okondogu, then from the Sorbonne in Paris, then from the Brandeis University in the United States, each degree reflected a conception of learning that was far different from the educational experience in his village. In the schools of the West, Maladoma states that he graduated and received a formal docu document certifying that I had completed a program of difficulty and importance and was now granted the right to enjoy the privilege of my accomplishment. In the village, on the other hand, every discovery, every learning mastered led to a far different response. The elders instead said something like, having been exposed to this and that and successfully endured its pain, we now grant you the right to more trouble and tribulation for your own growth and for the fulfillment of the destiny associated with you. May the ancestors continue to stay by your side. For an African to come to the West while maintaining a devotion to ancestral wisdom 
is to invoke a program of challenges and adversity. Here in the West, Africa has been much written about, but in areas such as religion and spirituality, where Africa has quite a profound wisdom to contribute, it has been for the most part written off. Many Westerners have written about African spirituality, but they pay, pay scant attention to the practices that might benefit Westerners. Most references instead discuss rather disturbing magical practices such as blood sacrifices, voodoo, and witch doctors involved in evil rituals. And in fact, scores of educated Africans in positions of influence have publicly rejected the spiritual practices of their kinfolk as primitive and barbaric. Maladoba goes on to state that I still remember hearing judgments ranging from superstitions to savage uttered by African leaders and intellectuals to their own people. And as a consequence, I learned that showing to the world what I was learning of the vast body of native wisdom could result in a great deal of confusion and suffering. I recognized that discretion and sometimes even deliberate deception was necessary in order to protect myself from naive and negative criticism, which can profoundly be profoundly disempowering. And I used to pretend to curious outsiders that I did not know anything to the great delight of my indigenous teachers. I would consciously make mistakes in order to protect myself and my knowledge, suggesting to outsiders that I knew very little of value. And in the West, one can find indigenous cultural elements embedded in American culture if one knows where to look for them. The widespread fascination with antiquities, antiquities, adventure travels, and travel artifacts, and, and reveals a cultural hunger to connect with indigenous roots. It is only through a massive investment in denial of indigenous spirituality that Westerners have arrived at a relatively comfortable thinking that modern means that which has overcome primitivism, that which is superior to the indigenous. But just as indigenous people have accepted that the modern world won't go away, Westerns, Westerners need to recognize that indigenous thought is here to stay as well. The indigenous world may have to be redefined by Westerners in new forms, just as traces of the philosophy architecture, and politics of the classical Greeks. Greeks are still apparent all over the Western world in modernized forms. The ancient indigenous ways will suddenly and silently continue to pervade the fabric of modernity. Indigenous wisdom is destined to continue undisturbed beneath these transformations. So, we come to the end of the hour, and we will continue tomorrow evening uh, with this very fascinating and interesting and informative portion of the healing wisdom of Africa. Then we're going to delve into the healing power of nature and the value of a healthy community and its youth. So I thank you all for tuning in this evening, and as always, I give thanks to the one most high God, to our ancestors, 
to my dearly beloved wife and, and mother, my children and their families, all of my siblings, and all of you, my friends and family throughout the cyber world and social network, I give thanks to you. I bid you farewell. Alafia, namaste, shalom, assalamu alaikum, all my relations, hetepu hotep, peace and love to all. And I hope that your evening is one of joy and restfulness and may tomorrow be one of prosperity and peace and love. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.